0: Certain information set forth in the podcast may contain forward-looking statements under applicable security laws. These statements are not guarantees of future performance, and undue reliance should not be placed on them. Although forward-looking statements contained in this presentation are based upon what management of the company believes to be reasonable assumptions, there can be no assurance that forward-looking statements will prove to be accurate. LifeSci advisors and the company undertake no obligation to update forward-looking statements in the podcast should circumstances or management's estimates or opinions change. This podcast is for general information purposes only. it is not an offer or solicitation to buy securities and does not constitute investment advice.
1: We focused more and more in the field of oncology. So today we sit with three of the immune checkpoints that we discovered. These have turned from computer prediction through successful preclinical studies.
0: Hello, my name is Neil Canavan and this is bench Talk Bios podcast series by LifeSite Partners, where we introduce healthcare investors to the people and the pipelines driving the biotech sector forward.
2: Hello, my name is Neil Canavan, and this is Benchtop Bios, a podcast series by LifeSite Partners, where we introduce healthcare investors to the people and the pipelines driving the biotech sector forward. Today is my great pleasure to be speaking with Dr. Anat Cohen-Dayag. She is the president, CEO, and board member of a company called Compugent. Doctor, welcome to the podcast.
1: Hello, thank you.
2: So first things first, the benefit of those who may not be familiar with CompuGen. let's start with the elevator pitch. 60 seconds or less, Doctor, tell me where is CompuGen headquartered, how long have you been in business, and what do you do there?
1: So Compigen today is a therapeutic discovery and development company. We discover new drug targets, new biological pathways, and we develop first-in-class drugs to address these drug targets. And we're focused in the field of cancer immunotherapy. Compigen was founded in 1993. And it was founded as a discovery infrastructure company, developing computer systems, algorithms, and tools to generate insights from the mining of biological data. But in the last, actually more than 10 years, when I became the CEO of the company, we transformed the company from being a, a discovery infrastructure company into a discovery and development company.
2: All right. Now, I realize that's a big story right there, that whole change, that shift. And we will get to that in just a moment. We'll get a far more detailed on all of that. But, but first, in keeping with the mission of Benchtop Bias, which is introduce listeners to senior management, let's talk first for a bit about you. First, your training. You have a Ph.D. in the life sciences from the prestigious Weissman's II, class of '96. What was your discipline?
1: Actually, it's an interesting one. I joined a lab that was actually doing the research on how bacteria is navigating the environment. How does it react to chemicals? And the notion was that maybe uh, sperm cells are using the same mechanism to find their way to meet the egg uh, just prior to fertilization. And actually what we've identified, and this was my PhD, that actually the sperm cells are using chemotaxis towards the egg, actually reacting to chemicals that are released by the egg and are actually compelling sperm cells to get to the egg.
2: Now All right, so this is really basic science stuff. So back then, were you thinking as you're working towards your degree, I want to stick with basic science or I want to work in translation or do I want to teach or do I just want to make some money and go straight into industry?
1: Never only basic science. For me, it was always about the application. I mean, when you start from human biology from normal processes or pathological processes, there are huge questions that we're still not aware of the answers. And for me, the application was very, very important all the time. So, no, not basics, but really the application was more important for me. And I always thought that, uh, that I should go to the industry and find the way to combine science and management, so at the end of the day, I can affect how the sciencing is being done towards the sudden application that I'm interested in. And this is exactly what I do at CompiGen.
2: Well, to that end of going straight to work, you did go straight to work after you got your PhD, a company called Orgenics. You were a bench scientist there for three years. That company is now part of Abbott. Then you started doing R&D for a company called MindSense Biosystems. That was for another three years. Can you give me just a brief snapshot on what MindSense did?
1: Sure. Actually, both Orgenics and MindSense were dealing with diagnostics and not therapeutics. Specifically, MindSense was looking to discover new biomarkers for the identification of mental disorders through blood tests and specifically major depression.
2: So after that came Compagent, which at that time was not a drug developer, but a service provider for target identification. In terms of your science experience, how does the technology of MindSense flow into the technology of CompuGEN? Or was CompuGEN just a very different beast altogether?
1: So today Compugen is very different, but at the time being, I joined Compugen with the goal that the company had to start activities in the field of uh, diagnostics and biomarker discovery through the computational capabilities of the company. So I joined a team, uh, mostly business development team and R&D scientists that were actually had the mission to try to identify biomarkers that we can commercialize or partner with the diagnostic companies. And we did have a few collaborations in place with J&J and with the Siemens and with Allure. Some biomarker discovery collaborations where Compugen handed over biomarkers for the development by the diagnostic care companies.
2: Okay. I'm imagining that Compugen in the beginning was full of computer scientists and not bench scientists like Metware. Was that a a bit of a hard transition for you? Or did you have to learn a lot of computers? How did that work?
1: It's a good question. When I joined Compigen, there were already biologists. At Compigen, there were not only data scientists, but also real lab, wet lab biologists. So this specific transition happened before I joined. The main transition that happened under my leadership was actually to transition the company from working on different areas of therapeutics and diagnostics specifically into drug target discovery and then incorporating drug development expertise to the company to be able to know what makes a good drug target and how to discover new drug targets that will be able to make it into drug development And understand and start with the end in mind, the discovery process through development to generate a product at the end of the day.
2: So this speaks to your point about you were really wanted to move towards translation after your degree and have done so through industry and now to turn CompuGent around like this. There is a bit of willfulness here, I'll say. So when you start CompuGent, you came up through the ranks and you became CEO. Was that a case of being the right place at the right time, or did you really pursue this, this leadership role?
1: Actually both, I have to say. On one hand, it was clear to me after being a few years a scientist in the industry, that I want to advance my career through the combination of management roles but in companies that are dealing with the cutting-edge scientific development technologies and capabilities. So this was clear to me, but I never thought that I'll turn to be the CEO of CompiGen. I just thought that I'll advance my career at CompiGen and eventually I'll turn to be a CEO in a different company because CompiGen was a public company, a large company here in Israel. And I saw that my first role will be first as CEO of a private company. But the situation at CompiGen turned to be as such, and this is where the right place and the right opportunity. The situation was that CompiGen didn't have the cash, was actually trying to find ways to proceed forward. And I was there leading the whole R&D. And it was just natural that I was offered this position. And I had a good uh, mentor back then, which was the chairman, the long-term chairman of the company. And I learned everything that I could, being able not only to run the science, but also run the business, also run the investor perspective, run the financial portion of the company. And then the rest is history. So I didn't think that it will happen at competent, but eventually, as you see, it happened at
2: competent. I'm going to talk about your science and your pipeline in just a minute. But first, I have a question about investors. I came from the world of journalism, and I started meeting biotech investors, and they really are kind of a different breed of individual. You came from the bench, and all of a sudden, you're dealing with investors. Give me one example of, okay, this is different than talking to scientists.
1: It is very different than talking to scientists, I have to say. An example, I think that for investors, even with investors that are very familiar with the signs, you need to make sure that they see The business portion, how it translates to the business, you cannot stay at the level that you stay with your scientists, that this is the most important portion for them. They need to understand the high-level perspective of the organization, but you need to discuss with them the science. With investors, it's not only about the science. The science is only the start. But eventually, when you speak with them, you need to make sure that they understand how it is tied to the business, how it is tied to the potential of the company to grow in value and making things happen at the end of the day.
2: So you're a storyteller with a purpose. You need the listener to know, okay, here's how the story is going to end. we are going to make some money.
1: (laughs) Yes, you know, for Compugen, you always need to see the two arms of the story. One, we want to help patients. That's for sure. But the other arm is to make sure that investors, yes, they see the value of their investment. So, yeah, you need to make sure that they understand how they get there.
2: All right. So let's go to the science part, which is the part that I understand most. I mean, I'll start off light. And then after a bit, we're going to get into the weeds when it comes time for you and not to explain something called the DNAM axis. So very quickly for listeners, who are brand new to the cancer immunotherapy story, I'm going to start out. Roughly 30 years ago it was discovered that the body regulates the responses to the immune system through something called checkpoints. These are molecular signals that modulate the immune system. They're responsible for turning the response on, turn it off, turn it up, turn it down. The most two influential of these are called CTLA-4 and PD-1. And we now have drugs that target both of these molecules. For the 25% or so of patients that respond to these drugs, the results can be profound even curative, and the approval of these two drugs set off a multi-billion-dollar chase for other checkpoints now enter content. This small but nimble company in far-off Israel is now competing with some very big players in this space. Not tell me how you're facing that competition with what I will call the two sides of the coin strategy. Tell me about the science of the immunological checkpoints as it relates to Yervoy, the anti-CTLA drug approved for cancer, and Terencia, an approved drug for rheumatoid arthritis. Tell me how these two drugs mechanistically represent a business plan.
1: So as we discussed earlier, I'll start with the science and then we'll move to the business. Okay, so with respect to the science, at the end of the day, we recognize that there is a family of protein called immune checkpoints that, as you said, can turn on and off the immune system response. And it was clear to us that as a discovery company, computational discovery company, that if there are additional new immune checkpoints that are not known to others, that we should be able to uncover them and to really to discover these. And we designed our capabilities in order to discover new immune checkpoints, and we did. As you know, today we have three immune checkpoints that moved from computer prediction to clinical studies, which we'll relate in a moment. So when we started this and discovered the new immune checkpoints, we actually adopted first, business-wise, the thinking of two products in one discovery. And that's because of Yervoy and dorensia. Because Yervoy is an antibody targeting CTLA-4 for oncology. So it is turning off the inhibitory signal of CTLA-4 in order to allow the immune system to fight the cancer. And orensia is CTLA-4-IG. It's a portion of the CTLA-4 antibody that binds the CTLA-4 receptor that actually blocks the stimulation that is being done by CTLA-4 of the immune system. And that's important in autoimmune diseases where the system gets out of control and is actually being stimulated. So we thought that, okay, from each discovery, we'll have two products. At the end of the day, Because of business reasons, the unmet need, the demand from the industry that was more intense in the field of oncology, we focused more and more in the field of oncology. So today, we sit with three of the immune checkpoints that we discovered. These have turned from computer prediction through successful preclinical studies of the antibodies targeting these drug targets to the clinic. And today, there are also, for two of them, there's already clinical data suggesting, in one case, only preliminary data, but still suggesting that these are immune checkpoints and these may have an impact on human biology and specifically as cancer immunotherapy agents. So this is us. To tie into autoimmune diseases, in one of the cases, we have proceeded with the science and preclinical studies for one of the autoimmune opportunities, but due to focus in the company, we decided to put it on the shelf for the moment.
2: Well, I want to point out to listeners that this isn't just some clever thinking. This is an actual business plan that is in play in a company called Sonoma. When Jim Allison was working on CTLA-4, someone else was working on it named Jeff Bluestone. Jeff Bluestone's company, Sonoma, is targeting autoimmunity, and he's learning many of the same lessons that he learned on CTLA-4. So yeah, this is a very solid business plan. But now we have a little more complicated thing to discuss, and that is the deep science of the DNAM axis. And this is how we came to know something called PVIRG, a signaling molecule, and its partner called TIGIT. Now, tell me about those. What is the axis?
1: Yeah. So I'll start actually by the discovery of TIGIT. So as part of being a discovery company, even before we had our own pipeline and decided to invest in drug development, we discovered TIGIT, and we sent it to publication, and that was at the time that Genentech published it in 2009. For us, it was validating and reassuring that we also had a publication, so a publication by Genentech. So we thought, okay, this is an immune checkpoint, and that's a viable discovery. But a few years later, after we started to establish our own pipeline, we went back to this immune checkpoint discovery, and we discovered PVRIG. And what we discovered is that the PVRIG pathway is actually working in parallel and in complement to the TIGIT pathway to the point that the two of them are actually sending inhibitory signals to the immune system. So they are called inhibitory receptors. And the notion, like for TIGIT, that the notion for TIGIT is that when you develop a drug to address TIGIT, you block its inhibition of the immune system. So by way of doing this, you stimulate the immune system response against the cancer. That was the notion for us also for PVRIG. And our data suggested that in tumor types, where the two pathways are operative, it will not be enough to target only TIGIT, to block only TIGIT, because PVRIG pathway will continue to inhibit the immune system. So, our hypothesis was that, based on data, that you'll need to block the two pathways in these cases where the patients are having the two pathways operative, in order to allow the immune system fight the cancer. So, with that in mind, we started the development of COM701. Our PVRIG targeting antibody. And after we realized that what we believe as a hypothesis is correct, at least preclinically, we also started our own development of an anti-tigit antibody, which is COM902, and trying to block the two arms of what we think is a pathway, is an axis, sorry. To make it a little bit more complicated, what we identified later by our preclinical studies and then you know in the last two years you can see it also in the scientific literature, is that the PD one pathway, which is serving now as the backbone of cancer immunotherapy in the industry, is actually also intersecting with the PVRIG and TGIT pathways through a protein called DNAM. And basically, based on this, we actually expanded our hypothesis to state that these are three pathways that are working in parallel and in complement, and actually in different tumor types and in different patient populations, you have different dominance of each of these pathways. And while in patients where the PD-1 pathway is more dominant. You'll treat these patients with PD-1 blocker and they'll respond. And these are probably the 20 to 30% of the cancer patients that are responsive to PD-1 blockers. In other cases, it will not be enough. You'll still need to block other inhibitory signals that are not allowing the immune system to overcome this inhibition. And in this case, we believe that this is PVRIG and or TIGIT. And based on these three pathway hypotheses, we developed our clinical strategy.
2: Well, let's talk about that strategy right now. Uh, you've got two assets in the clinic uh, Comp 701, which targets the PVIRG, and 902, which is TIGIT. And for 701, there are three early stage clinical trials ongoing there's a monotherapy trial, which is self explanatory a trial with 701 in combination with the anti tigit acid-92, as and a triplet combination with 701, an anti tigit acid from BMS, and nivolumab, which is the anti-PD-1 acid, also from BMS. So let's start with three news items connected to those programs. I want to highlight these in chronological order. Most recently, on July 19th, you announced the first patient had been dosed in a cohort expansion of the triple combination. This is a phase 1-2 study 701, the BMS TIGIT, and NEVO, The population of solid tumor patients. So three questions. What is the final enrollment target? Have you narrowed what tumor types you want to include? And when do you expect a readout?
1: So first, the goal of this study, now that you understand the Dynamaxis hypothesis or the three-pathway hypothesis, is actually to ultimately test our hypothesis and to block the three pathways of PVRIG, TIGIT, and PD-1 simultaneously. And this is why we use these three agents. So this is the goal. We are actually having three arms in this study, and each arm is going to address 20 patients. Actually, recently we just announced that we're going to add an additional arm, so probably it will be four arms with 20 patients each.
2: Okay. Okay. Quite large.
1: Yes, it is a large study, but still a signal-seeking study. We're trying to test in different patient populations where this uh, triple blockade would make a difference. Okay, the tumor types were selected. And here, I'll say one thing about our clinical strategy. Based on our data for PVRIG pathway, we actually think that this pathway has relevance in tumor types that are not responsive to PD-1 inhibitors. It is also relevant in tumor types where PD-1 inhibitors are working, but possibly in patients where the PD-1 pathway is not expressed to a high extent. So our clinical strategy is more focused on the non-responsive patient populations like ovarian, endometrial, breast, etc. So We selected the tumor types to apply the combination strategy that we have based on the PVRIG-PVRL2, the ligand, the PVRIG pathway expression, okay? And the goal for the data at this point in time, as you stated, we just announced that the study started in mid-July. We did not share guidance yet with respect to this uh, data readouts, but obviously we understand the significance of seeing data from the expansion cohorts, and we'll soon share some guidance on this one.
2: Okay. Now let's talk about the dual program. Why are you using the BMS asset in the triple combination, but not in the dual combination?
1: Maybe first I'll explain why at all we develop our own TIGIT, right? I mean, that's not a given. so. Understanding that these two pathways, TG10PVRIG, are two key pathways in the dinam axis, we want to make sure that we control these two arms of the axis, and that we are flexible to do any studies that we want to do independently of a pharma partner. That's the reason that we developed our own TIGIT. Now, why did we use the BMS TIGIT in the triplet study, and why don't we use it in the doublet? So in the triplet study, it's actually a win-win for Compigen and Bristol-Myers-Quib. At the point in time that we wanted to start the triplet study, our TIGIT inhibitor was at a very early stage. It was not in the clinic, and we could use the BMS1 to test the triplet. Today, we both have our own TIGIT ready to be tested in clinical studies, and also we have the two assets, and that's a regimen that is not using PD-1 inhibitors. So while we have both the PVRIG antibody and the TIGIT antibody, we can combine them independently of any pharma company, and that's the reason.
2: Flexibility. Very good. Finally, in June of this year at ASCO, you had news on both the monotherapy and the dual combinations. Could you give me just the top-line reactions you got from those two studies reported at ASCO?
1: Sure. I'll just say, before I dive to mono and and dual combo, I'll just say that in general, we saw durable anti-tumor responses in these different studies, monotherapy and dual combo. And by the way, this dual combo is a combination of com 71 plus a PD-1 inhibitor plus nivolumab. So we saw durable anti tumor responses, high disease control rate, and this is all in patients' populations that are, that exhausted standard of care therapy, that do not have any additional treatments in front of them, that are in tumor types that are not responsive to checkpoint inhibitors. And that matters. Now, let's start with the combo studies, COM701, up. Here, again high disease control rate of 67%, durable, more than six months, anti-tumor immune responses. We saw one partial response in colorectal cancer, MSS, the most aggressive one not responding to cancer immunotherapies. The patient was on study treatment for 44 weeks, and this patient had partial response. Another response that we had with a dual combo is in a patient of Anál This patient was on study treatment for 18 months. He had complete response, and he was actually on Nivo treatment prior to getting on our study, and he was responding to Nivo, and lost the response, progressed on Nivo, and then got to our study, and had a complete response. So from this perspective, it was actually. It's initial data, but confirming our hypothesis that the dual combination in certain patient populations, by the way, not responsive to checkpoint inhibitors are actually reacting to the combination of COM-701 and nivolumab. The MONO study, it was a small study that we did, in, first in order to test the safety and tolerability, but also to better understand the contribution of COM-701 in antitumor activity. We had a disease control rate of 47% we saw anti-tumor activity in different type of tumors that are not responsive to checkpoint inhibitors. Specifically, we had one patient with primary peritoneal cancer, which is a type of ovarian cancer that is not responsive to checkpoint inhibitors, that actually on study treatment for almost two years. And this patient had partial response. And actually, that's an interesting story to tell because it takes us not only to the clinical data, but also to the translational data that we had, because we're not only looking for the response of the patient, but also to what happened in the tumor microenvironment. What did COM701 do? And one of the things that we identified in this case, we had an archival biopsy of this patient, of the tumor of this patient, prior to being treated with COM701. And prior to treatment, we saw that the tumor microenvironment was actually lacking PDL1. It was lacking infiltration of T cells. And what we saw is that after treatment, we saw increased proliferation of CD8 T cells and NKT cells and increased immune modulation, which is suggesting that COM701 was actually driving the anti tumor immune response, which is it's initial, obviously, very initial data, but supportive of our hypothesis of the contribution of COM7-1 in the clinical setting.
2: Excellent. Have you had any safety signals to date?
1: Actually, we reported that both COM7-1 as monotherapy and also in combination with nivolumab was well-tolerated and had a good safety profile.
2: Now... I want to zoom back out with a few closing questions, one scientific and the other two is strictly on the business side. I've been aware of CompuGen for some time because I know the chair of your SAB, and that is Drew Cardall, who is the co-head of the immunotherapy program, Johns Hopkins, and all-around immunotherapy pioneer. So congratulations for getting him. Just briefly, what's the nature of your collaboration with Hopkins?
1: This collaboration is an important one. So this is a multi-year collaboration. It's a research collaboration. But Drew and his team are actually working on the different programs that we have in the pipeline, not only the clinical stage programs, but also the earlier stage programs on drug targets that we've never disclosed, new drug targets that we identified computationally, and they help us. Uncover the science. These are completely new programs. These are programs that you need to better understand the biology before you develop therapeutics. So this is what we do with, with Drew Pardol's lab.
2: All right. Well, with Drew on your side, I think you're going to do very well. So now just to make the lawyers happy, tell me, where is the IP for all of this?
1: So obviously, our strategy is to protect whatever is possible. I'll say a few words about it. You know, I think that on one hand, we are in a unique position in terms of IP because we discover completely new drug targets and explore new biological pathways. We have an opportunity to try and generate more broad claims on our drug targets or basically on the modulators of the drug targets. In reality, this is not an easy task to do because as you're probably familiar with the regulations and legislations, Every year it is being narrowed more and more in the industry, just to make sure that companies can compete for the benefit of patients, which is it's very reasonable, and obviously we compete and support it. but on the other hand, making sure that we can not only protect our drug product but also be able to generate some blocking claims, we're navigating here, and we're trying to do our best, but definitely. It is a better situation than working on a drug target that is completely in the public domain. So we try to find the best with this strategy.
2: Okay. And finally, I always have to ask about money. Give me an idea of your current runway and what sort of conversations do you hope to have investors in the coming six months, let's say?
1: So we ended Q2 with about $110 million, and we have no debt. Currently, for 2021, the expected gross cash expenditures are between 40 to $42 million. If you just do the math, we have cash until the end of 2023. Having said that, the more we're successful, we'll want to do more clinical studies, advance our clinical studies, so the burn will increase. So I wouldn't recommend using the exact Mathematics said Going forward." Obviously, this does not take into consideration any cash inflows. We did not discuss the collaborations that we have in place. We have a collaboration with Bayer on one of the programs that is in the clinic. It's a milestone and royalty-bearing collaboration. We have a license agreement with AstraZeneca. We license to them the rights to develop bi-specific antibodies to one of the programs that is in our pipeline. This is also a milestone and royalty-bearing collaboration. We also have the clinical collaboration with bristol Squibb, which is a little bit different. So this is just, you know, just to make sure that we put things in perspective. Speaking with investors, I would say that there are three points that I would be happy to speak with them about. First, execution. We'll make everything possible to continue the strong execution that we have shown in the last two years. Even though COVID-19, we never stopped pushing the gas. And we've executed and made sure that we keep meeting all our guidance. So hopefully strong execution. You mentioned the multiple studies that are ongoing. All of them started only recently, expansion studies. So the next two years are going to be data-rich and milestone-rich. And hopefully we'll be able to speak with investors about data and also, I want to make sure that they will not forget that CompuGen is this unique company that can fit its own pipeline. So hopefully about new additional programs in the pipeline.
2: All right, that's a wrap. Ladies and gentlemen, today I have been speaking with Dr. Anat Cohen-Dayag. She is the CEO and board member of CompuGen. Doctor, thank you for joining me today. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to this week's Benchtop Bios. I hope that this episode will serve as yet another data point to guide you in your investment strategies. If you wish to hear more of Lifesize Benchstop Bios, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Google. Also, if there's a company or a particular executive you'd like to get to know, I do take requests. Please send those to ncanadatlifesizeadvisors.com. Until next week, then, goodbye, or for that matter, good sell, whatever boosts your portfolio.